Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cowan Kitchen, Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja. Jess, welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Podcast. Thank you again for having me on. I say like there was a different option, but here we are anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today we're going to be talking about some digital marketing news. Of course, as always, we are also going to be uh, discussing B2B lead gen and the video that's just gone live. I had some really interesting uh feedback and questions on that and as well some other videos this week you're going to be sharing your brand of the week I am indeed. and i'm going to be sharing a bit of a a bit of a lesson uh, on our own digital marketing and then we're going to end up with the marketing fire of the week Jess, do you want to start us off with some news? Yes, absolutely. So there are a couple of things. I feel like we say this every week. One of them is, in fact, Twitter. It's always Twitter. There's always something to say about Twitter at the moment. And this week, it is Twitter fighting with Apple, number one, as well yeah. as issues with lots of advertisers leaving the platform. Um, we can see that there's still a lot of unrest I would say happening on Twitter at the moment. What's your take on it all, Tim? There is. I mean, I think the unrest is actually getting a bit worse, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, the, the latest thing with Apple has been reported um, last last few hours, really, that um, Elon's been sort of picking fights with Apple, and uh, apparently Apple has threatened to bump Twitter from the Apple App Store, which would be absolutely huge. Um, Twitter's also removed the their COVID misleading information policy. The wording that they've removed is that any content that's demonstrably false or misleading may lead to significant risk of harm, may not be shared on Twitter. So that's now gone. So if you want to share content that's misleading or may lead to significant risk of harm, go for it. I mean, all of these obviously are sort of brand safety red flags, aren't they? And you mentioned the advertiser exodus. Twitter wasn't a huge advertising player anyway, but I think half of their top 10 advertisers have, have now left. Um, this is not looking good for Twitter's ongoing revenue. And it's just really strange. It is. It really is strange. And it is interesting to see the choices made about misleading information, having that alert come up when there's been claims that Twitter's going to be the most accurate source of information on the internet. So it seems like what's happening and what's being said aren't really matching. Um, mm. Obviously you mentioned about the loss in revenue. So head of Twitter, Elon has said that they would like to try and rival YouTube in terms of video content by enticing creators over by saying, we're going to give you a bigger revenue split than any of the other platforms. But YouTube already gives quite a good revenue split already. And it's it's questionable as to whether the reason they do that is because they want to make more profit or is it because they can't give creators more, otherwise they'll go under. Because surely creators are the backbone of YouTube. So YouTube's going to want to try and give them the best deal possible. Whereas Twitter hasn't been built from the same place. So it's going to be really mm. tough for them to be able to just rebuild the whole platform in order to, you know, offer this revenue split to video creators. Like it's just, it just doesn't make sense. It's a very bizarre yeah. option for Twitter to take. Yeah, I think as a marketer, I would absolutely love for Twitter to win. And I would love for 
there to be a text-based advertising platform where you could target your audience really effectively and you get great data, you know, conversion tracking would be awesome. Like all of that. So I think that'd be fantastic. That hasn't really been Twitter's business model. Twitter's business model has kind of been, you can build your brand on here and then monetize off platform. So there was a conversation between Elon and Mr. Beast, I think, where um, Elon was saying, you know, maybe we should take on YouTube and make Twitter the go-to place for video creators. And Mr. Beast was like, well, how are you going to do that? Like YouTube is really good at monetizing its audience, really good at sharing revenue with creators. It's going to take a lot to make them move over. And Elon was saying, well, you know, we're going to improve the amount that we can pay to creators, which to a lot of people watching is just impossible. I can't see how Twitter is going to be able to monetize that audience better than, uh, than, than, than YouTube is. So I don't know. I I, I have to say that Elon's vision for Twitter is quite compelling. When you hear him talking about it, Elon's vision for Twitter is quite compelling. But at the moment, it seems like it's more destruction. You've got to break some eggs to to make an omelette. I know that. But there's like a whole load of eggshell on the floor. And it doesn't seem to be that much omelette in the pan. So yeah, uh, like you say, every week we say this, but we're keeping an eye on it and seeing what it means for marketers. Absolutely. And if you are a marketer that's like worrying about Twitter and every time there's an update, you're like, okay, I need to redo my whole plan. Just step back a little bit and just don't try and keep up with what's going on because it will just be impossible and you're just going to burn out. And I would say as well, if you are a person who Twitter is your platform, that's where you get a lot of your revenue from. Please start trying to, you know, get on some more platforms and diversify because if it goes under, it fully goes under it's better to just try and find some new platforms where your audience are like moving to or spending time already and try and rebuild yourself over there because we just don't know how it's going to go unfortunately yeah yeah and of course this also illustrates the danger of one the danger of relying on any one channel for the majority of your traffic i know a lot of people who've built their personal brands, they have all their audience on Twitter and they haven't really taken that audience anywhere else. They haven't built an email list and all that type of stuff. Those are the people that are most stressed out right now. And any business, if you're completely reliant on one channel or you're predominantly reliant on one channel, you never know. Like Something like this can just come out of the blue and, and disrupt that. So let that be a warning to all of us. We're all over-reliant on one channel usually at the start of our marketing journeys. And then hopefully as we go on, we, we kind of spread our resources a bit. But yeah, let this be the nudge if uh, if we needed it. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's one area that we've definitely seen in the news. Another one, which um, you may have seen, you may be like, what does this mean for me? I promise we will get to that. But it is FTX and the crypto death spiral, as Tim called it. Obviously, if you are connected yeah. into the crypto space, um, there's been, over the past few years, a lot of scandals. And this year, I think, well, just recently, the scandal with FTX has been pretty huge. Mm, it has. I think for me, FTX is fascinating. I, I, just like to be completely honest, I've been very skeptical of most of crypto since the start. And and I think there's um there was a saying from the first recession where when you're when your barber's giving you stock tips, that's when you know that you're in a bubble. And my barber's been trying to sell me on cryptocurrency for, you know, since I moved here. So that's a good year and a half. So that that to me indicates that this is a place for speculators rather than, um, you know, an investment asset class or whatever. But regardless of that, I think the marketing lesson from crypto are really interesting because this was a, an entire industry built on, you know, personal cult followings and 
SBF FTX was a prime example of this. This seems to have been a business that could grow very large because this person did a fantastic job of using so many of the principles that we use to market businesses every day. So influencer marketing, right? He would be on stage with, you know, all these presidents and prime ministers as a way of piggybacking on their credibility, which is exactly what influencer marketing is, right? It's using somebody else to get to their audience and borrowing their credibility to sell your product, which is exactly what he's done here. It's using social proof. So the fact that this exchange was massive and, you know, they made the most of the fact that they were large and that they had lots of, uh, you know, lots of investors. Again, that's what we would teach. This is how you want to increase your conversion rate, use social proof. We would advise FTX to use all of the marketing strategies that they use if they're a client of ours. But they use that to scam, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. So this is really interesting. And I have to be honest, I felt a little bit conflicted when this stuff started to come out, because it's like, well, this is a business that is it's basically pure marketing, right? Anytime there's there's no sort of back end, this is just a pure scam. Then this is marketing, this is un, uh, unconstrained, pure marketing used to make money. And that's kind of what we teach. That's kind of the game we're in. So for me, it's like a, an, another lesson that as marketers, we have to exert our own moral guidance on what we point our craft at, right? For example, Exposure Ninja, we don't work with businesses that are selling something which isn't legal or selling businesses which are reliant or could be reliant on exploiting people. And I think we all have to remember that the things that we learn how to do, these are basically tools to manipulate. These are basically tools to encourage people to purchase. Encouraging people to purchase is basically manipulating them into purchase. That's, you know, that, that that's potentially where we're at. So yeah, I, I just felt like, oh, wow, this is, you know, these strategies, these techniques, they can be used for good or evil. And we need to make sure that our compass is we're always calibrated and we don't let ourselves stray into the dark side because, you know, worst case scenario, the marketing agencies and the people who are marketing FTX have caused millions or billions of pounds worth of damages to ordinary people. And that's rubbish. Completely. No, right. no, I totally agree. And um, one thing I wanted to add on to that is if you're watching this and you're like, well, I'm not a scammer or I'm really ethical and all these things. The lesson here for you is that we might end up in a period where people are feeling a bit like unenthused with businesses as a whole, whether you're finance, whether you're crypto, whether you're something else. And if your target audience kind of crosses over with, you know, the audience of companies like this, you need to be really aware of like, you might have to put really put the work in in order to gain their trust especially if you're a financial business like pay close attention to the mistakes that were made here the promises that were made as well um, because often we do see in crypto and nft spaces loads of promises are made that are just never come to fruition so if you are making those same promises that you actually can deliver on you are going to you know you're going to suffer unfortunately so mm. really pay attention to what's going on, what people are upset about and make sure that people can trust you in the future, I think. It's yeah, one. it's like the, the barrier for, for trust for this audience is going to be way higher, isn't it? It also got me wondering if um, there's going to be a period of a group of people that are going to be very disenfranchised in general, because a lot of 
the promise of crypto was, well, you know, the existing system hasn't worked for this group of people. So, you know, screw that. We're going to go and do our own thing. And this is the hope. This is the brighter future. We're not going to be able to afford our own houses. We're not going to be able to save for retirement. Crypto will save us. And then large portions of that savior have turned out to be a total scam. And that is incredibly painful and shocking um, if, if your sort of escape plan turns out to be actually, you know, a, a doom spiral. And it does make me wonder if there is going to be a group of people that are, you know, if this is going to lead to some sort of rebellion. You know, we saw punk, for example, as a, as a rebellion against the establishment in the 60s and 70s, right? And that was, that was caused by this sort of reaction against what is. And I think we're starting to see pockets of this, whether it's, I saw another pocket of, of dissatisfaction kind of erupt this week on TikTok with Lydia Millen, who's um, a sort of lifestyle influencer, very English countryside, well-spoken. Um, and she'd made a TikTok about, I need to go to, uh, my hot water's broken here, so I'm going to go to the Savoy in London. And, you know, people really, really took poorly to this. They really, really went in on it. And she is still getting hate a week later, which is a long time in, you know, hate spiral viral uh, timeline. So it, it just feels a little bit uneasy out there. It feels like we have to be more careful than ever about what we're saying and who we're selling to. And like you said, kind of read the room, make sure that the messages that we're going to be putting out are going to be received well, knowing that people are struggling with cost of living, people are scared about jobs and security with recession. And then a whole bunch of people have just seen their future escape plans, their future wealth plans go up in smoke with crypto. As marketers, our con the, the information that we share is always seen in some sort of context. We need to be fully aware of that context. Completely. And you'll find, as seems to happen with these podcasts every week, that seems to be a theme throughout the rest of um, the rest of the discussion. But before that, Tim, would you like to talk us through this week's video that went out yesterday? Yes, so this week's video is all about B2B lead generation. We looked at some ways to, uh, basically we looked at our most successful B2B lead generation campaigns for clients and we said, what are the commonalities? And then we put it into a video. There's five or six different tips where we've basically taken something from you know, a bunch of campaigns that have worked well and distilled it into its principles. So if you're a B2B firm, bang on. Um, even if you're not a B2B firm, you know, we say this is a B2B video, but secret, it's all the same for any type of business, right? These things always apply. Um, of course, there's different implementations for B2C and D2C, but uh, yeah, that's what it's all about. B2B digital marketing. It's going to be a bit of a niche video for some, but um, I think some of the principles in here we've seen be responsible for, you know, multi-million growth for clients. So, oh, absolutely. I completely agree. And one of the things that came up that we kind of had a discussion of, about this while the video was in process, but it was to do with press releases. And although this isn't a necessarily a topic that does affect B2C or D2C, it kind of does because the the message is the mm -hmm. same in that you need to understand what gets your audience excited, what they want to read about. And I sort mm -hmm. of shared a story about when I used to work in ag agriculture and a lot of the press releases there were very mundane because that was just the done thing and nobody was really breaking out of that mold. And it was very difficult to convince mm -hmm. anybody to break out of that mold. But really nobody probably cared other than us like it was very 
everyday stuff. Like I think some of the examples you gave in the video were like such and such got a promotion or we upgraded this part of the office or we, you know, and it's just very boring. It's, it might be exciting to you, but not exciting to your audience. And I think, yeah, you wrote something yeah. here that's fantastic that says not everything needs to be an ad. And I think that's also a really, really good point. Like not everything that happens in your business has to be broadcast to the world, I suppose. Yeah, um, probably most of it shouldn't. So yeah. Jess, I'm interested in, in, in your agriculture industry uh, time. What, what was the goal of people publishing these press releases? What did they hope to get out of it? I think it was just to say, we've, got, we've made this great change. For instance, we've got this new machine or we've upgraded this machine. But the press release would just be, it would be very, very technical. Um, there wasn't really mm. a lot. I mean, we talk a lot about benefits and features. And I know features are important and features should always be included. But also explain to me how this is going to make my life easier compared to what I have now or everything else that is on the market. And the second thing is stuff like we've got a new person starting in the office was a kind of press release I'd written a couple of times, you know, that would go on the website and be sent out to a few publications okay cool why does that matter what's important about it what's actually the story there if the story is that you've just hired somebody who you know has all these accolades and is gonna make all these different changes to the business then that's interesting but if you're just hiring me then that's not really newsworthy you know so I oh, think <laughs> but it's not it's not this is the thing so I think people you know if you are sending out press releases think about who actually cares get step outside for a moment step outside of your sort of work bubble look at what's mm. being shared look at what people in your industry are talking about like i used to spend a lot of time on the farming forum just to see what farmers were actually talking about what are they worried about what are their concerns what terminology are they using and it just wasn't it didn't really match up necessarily you know like they don't really care that much about the individual companies as much as we probably felt they did because we're passionate about the company yeah yeah i there's a there's there's a kind of a metaphor i've been thinking about this so i read the ft and i read the ft because the articles in the journalism are fantastic and it gives me loads of really useful information that i can apply to life and business and just feel a bit more intelligent when i finish reading it than when i started and because it's good i read the art the ads as well as the articles so because i'm reading i see the ads when I, my first job was uh, delivering newspapers and not like good newspapers that people actually read, like rubbish newspapers, a free newspaper. And for those who live in a world where free newspapers aren't normal, a free newspaper is basically, it's just a book of ads. And then they put like a, an article on the front cover to try and make you think that it's going to be, you know, full of news, but it's, it's really not. It's just page wall to wall ads. And even the article on the front is total garbage. And when I'd be delivering these newspapers, you know, I'd be delivering these newspapers and I could see the pile of like the previous week's newspapers that were still there. I could see the recycling bin full of newspapers. Some, sometimes I'd give them, you know, I'd be walking past the path and someone's there and I'd give them the paper and I could see them just go around and just dump it in the trash, you know. And because it was just wall-to-wall -wall ads, they didn't read any of it because there's no value whatsoever. And I think not necessarily marketers, but there is a tendency for some people in the business, usually people higher up who don't really understand marketing, 
to make all of their promotional activity like that, just wall-to-wall ads. So, oh, great, we've got an Instagram account. So what are the ads that we can post? And they don't post like posts, they just post ads. I mean, they are posts, but they're basically just ads. Right? We had a client who um, was selling uh, supplements for a particular sport, and they were physically incapable of posting anything, which was not purely promotional. And the trouble is with that, is you're not going to follow it that you're not going to follow that account because it's just wall-to-wall ads it's the free newspaper there's no articles there it's just ads and the same with the press releases about you know janet's just started in the office or we've got a new we're excited to announce a partnership with john deere or whatever nobody cares that's just ads and the trouble is that people then become blind to your information because you are just ads and the trade sites that publish this garbage because they have no articles that are being submitted to them, which are good, just then become ignored because they're just wall-to-wall ads. And this is the danger, right? This applies to everything. This applies to trade shows. Um, I can go on a trade show tirade if we if we want at some point, but this is how most businesses approach all sorts of our marketing activity is, how can I get my ad in front of people? And actually, I'm not saying you need to be all fluffy and brandy and you know run a podcast and all that type of stuff, I am as conversion focused as you could possibly be relentlessly conversion focused. We don't do anything at Exposure Ninja that we're not projecting an ROI for our clients on. And we never will because we are ruthlessly conversion focused. This isn't saying like, oh yeah, you know, it's just cool to just put stuff out there and, you know, hope that people come to you and manifest it. No, I'm not. (laughs) But you need people to read the paper, right? The reason that you have the articles is to get them reading the ads. And it's exactly the same with this type of press release or any content that you're publishing on your website or when you're running a trade show or whatever you're doing, make sure that the article ads ratio is right. Uh, yeah, oh, it gets me going. It's a proper, a proper tirade. But yeah, basically, in summary, <laughs> if you're writing a press release, really step back and think, who cares? And I know that sounds nasty, but really think, who is going to read this? Why are they going to yeah. read it? What are they going to get out of it? And if all they're going to get out of it is such and such has a new thing, that's not really enough. It really isn't enough. That might be somebody's first interaction with you. You can't assume that everybody knows who you are. So I think, yeah, it's it's yeah. super, super important to think about. But thank you for your your tirade, Tim. I'm no one more. I have, one a, more I, have a, I have a PS tirade. If, if you want to get into industry publications, right? Here's a story from very, very pre-EN days, right? So I used to build websites for tradesmen, and this is what became Exposure Ninja. And these tradesmen didn't have computers, so it's pointless doing digital marketing to them. They, you know, some of them had a mobile phone, but they didn't even have email. So how I would get to them would be in, in these trade publications. And what I used to do is I'd write an article about here's how to get business from the internet. Here's how to get more customers from the internet. And I'd send them this article. And the article would say, you know, here's five steps to getting more customers. And if you want more information, you know, if you want to see these in action, request a DVD from me. And then I just literally put my phone number, my mobile number, like text me your name and address, uh, text me like PHAM for Plumbing, Heating, Air Movement Monthly, DVD to my phone number. And then on the day it went live, I'd get like 250 texts. I'd send out all these DVDs and the DVD had the pitch in. Now, it was way more effective than running ads or running a press release to Plumbing, Heating, Air Movement Monthly saying, hey, can you just post this article on, you know, here's some new technology which might help people. Because I was approaching it from, let me help you. Let me show you how to do something. Let me teach you how to do something. And by the way, if you want some more help doing it, 
then you know we can go from there so yeah that if you want to get in trade publications you can get in trade publications but you're not going to get leads from it unless you're focused on actually helping people write the articles not the ads anyway yeah, absolutely no that was that was a very good ps i'm glad that i didn't interrupt you and say that i need to get onto my brand of the week um but this this it will be fairly quick because i feel like the messaging here is is you know it's one of those brands where they're so cool and they're almost there but we've got a really important step that they need to take so the brand is called houseplant they sell smoking products which aren't legal in the uk but are in like america and different countries so they're obviously targeting that audience and they are going into a very oversaturated market but they're also going into a market where i feel like there's not a lot of like visual innovation in terms of products mm. right um like we see a lot of businesses that just start because they see a trend like i think video game drink supplements is a really really good example because they all look the same it's like you know a like a black pot with like really neon colorful weird creatures on them like i've i've had a lot of video game like energy drinks they all look the same and what i feel like houseplant has done is they have looked at where there's a gap and gone and filled that gap they were like what's missing where's there's a gap and they've realized there's a gap for like interestingly designed products that kind of look nice in your home that are like more luxury so it's very on mm. trend and they have a famous founder because seth rogan is at the top and you know there's a lot of stuff on the website like he's designed specific pieces but that has led to quite a difficult problem that i've noticed they have which is their Instagram comments are full of people who are Seth Rogen fans who want to buy stuff that he's designed and support him, but don't have the money. And mm. because they're not really, his fans aren't really the target audience. So it's like, they're so close. They're so close to, you know, breaking into this industry and positioning themselves as really different brands. But unfortunately, I think the targeting is wrong. Like I had a look at their SEO and they are ranking for things like standing ashtray you know they have these really tall ashtrays or like all-in-one rolling trays but it's accounting for like less than 0.5 percent of their traffic and it's more like houseplant or seth rogan is ranking for these products you know and so i feel like this has almost been a product made for fans but it wasn't supposed to be and it shouldn't be and yeah that's definitely one thing mm. that has flagged up and also i want to see videos of these products they have all these amazing products i want to mm. see how they look in action and how they're working um but yeah i think they're a really really great example of a brand who have innov innovated in an industry that's oversaturated and then just drop the ball when it comes to actually marketing it or how they position themselves unfortunately but very interesting brand indeed yeah really interesting brand i'm glad you brought this up because i actually i hadn't seen houseplant before this i think i'm I'm not their target demographic but no. <laughs> um the, the other if you haven't seen their products i think it's houseplant.com i think um, yeah something like that and, and yeah they sell so say you want i mean smoking accessories in inverted commas isn't it because <laughs> yeah i, I yeah, this is this is basically for for people that that smoke weed and want the the stuff that they're using to look cool rather than like skanky sort of crack den vibes. This is more like you know if you went around Gwyneth Paltrow's house, this is the stuff that you'd be seeing, and it's it's beautiful stuff. Like I think this also is um is an example of a business that has differentiated itself purely by design. Yes, and prioritizing design over you know making it 
accessible or you know easy to purchase or anything like that um which i think is a you know it's a, it's a completely viable position to take but really interesting that they've they've maybe gone for the what do we want to sell rather than what does Seth's audience want to buy um which is a very tempting mistake for all of us to make when we're when we're deciding where to position our business yeah absolutely absolutely and i think you know there is a lot of complaints on instagram of people saying you know i can't afford this etc etc and just because a brand is expensive doesn't mean it's bad and these are things Mm. that are literally just made to look good and be expensive and yeah i think they're just have targeted it wrong unfortunately so yes I would agree with you. Um, Jess, let's go to your marketing fail of the week. You've actually got two and you've got a thread. I have got a thread, yes. So I think we've sort of discussed a little bit about reading the room, especially with current events, reading the room and trying to stay relevant and stay current and potentially jumping on trends or using lingo, trying to fit in while also being um, not, not offending anybody or just being just tone deaf i would use the phrase tone deaf and yeah dale always brings us up he loves this topic curse of knowledge which is when you think that everybody else understands what you're saying or your thoughts because you know it you can't unlearn what you know um i experience it a lot when i'm writing you know knowledge-based content where i have to kind of be like okay if i was learning about call to action for the first time what would I have wanted to know and it can be really difficult it can you know you've done it a couple of times Tim during this <laughs> during this recording because you said FT and I think you meant financial times yeah. but yeah, for me yeah, I was like right. FT FT who is FT and I was like oh yes financial times but it's so easily done um and yeah we see it a lot with brands and one that I saw on a smaller scale although I would argue I say smaller scale in terms of time and effort and thought process that would have gone into it I don't mean smaller scale in terms of repercussions, which was one you actually mentioned to me, Tim, which was Tampax made a tweet, um, which was a bit, could have come across as a bit distasteful. Um, I mean, if I would have seen could that Could have come tweet, across, that's a, that's a generous, that, that, <laughs> Tampax sexualized their product and it, it kicked yeah, off. Yeah, so the, the tweet was, <laughs> I was trying to remember the tweet and then I was like, yeah, I've, I've undersold that bit. So the tweet was, you're in her DMs or we're, you're in their DMs, we're in them. We are not the same. And it just felt yeah. like, you know, they obviously saw this trend, which is like, you're in their DMs, we're, you know, in their whatever we're not the same which other brands can kind of jump on but unfortunately because of the nature of tampax products they sell tampons the way they phrased it just wasn't good at all and people really really didn't take well to this tweet you know they were saying you know you're sexualizing your product you know young young people who are under the age of 18 use your products and it just feels weird that you're kind of comparing this sort of like you know you're in the dms trying to chat them up we're already there we're already in the, you know, intimate with them kind of thing. So it was just a little bit like, uh, not great. And I think all that happened here is somebody made this joke in their head, thought that's funny and tweeted it. And unfortunately, sometimes when you think something's funny in your head, you know, when you say a joke and you say it out loud and everybody around you looks gone out. I think that's what happened with this Tampax tweet. Like I think everybody in the room groaned and the person who said it, who totally thought, that it was spot on, hilarious, mm. just had no idea. They, they hadn't even conceptualized that it could be mm. wrong. 
and I think that's yeah that that's where they tripped up there unfortunately and yeah I, I expect you I think they even left it up I'm well, last still time up, I checked yeah. it's still up, it's still up. yeah that's... they said something about like we had to tweet this before um before the website shut down so it's also a case of doubling down and this is something that you mentioned earlier with that tiktoker who went to the savoy um because the heating was broken and when people commented saying hey like it's really nice that you can do that but just remember you're in a real place of privilege and a lot of us can't afford to turn our heating on she was like not my problem is it or like yeah. you know oh we had an electric heater but the dogs needed it like you know just things that are like so out there that like yeah. Just yeah, was very yeah, just not not good at all. Um, it, I, I think that the Tampax thing is really interesting because there are examples of brands like you introduced me to the marvelous world of Duolingo's TikTok, and Duolingo's TikTok is a fight. For those who don't know, Duolingo is a language app, and they have this like bird mascot thing. And this bird mascot thing posts on TikTok and it's wild. There's, I've seen some pretty outrageous, this bird mascot has this like undying love for Dua Lipa. And the bird mascot is not afraid to express this love in many, many different ways. And some of them are really on the edge of, wow, like you'd actually say that. And people comment, wow, like clearly the legal team doesn't check your TikTok. Like what is going on here? So, you know, that, and they get rewarded from it. They get a huge amount of our attraction, loads of engagement. People love it. We talk about it all the time because they are risque. And this Tampax thing, like it, you can see the game that they're trying to play, but it's just gone so wrong. Yes. It's just not the same. Yeah. You're right. You are we are not the same. <laughs> you you are wrong. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's so interesting and I think it is like like I said, a case of just trying to take yourself out of the moment or even just run it past someone. If it's going to be a split second decision of writing a tweet, sometimes just take a breath and say to somebody else, "Hey, does this sound weird to you?" And but as I will discuss as well, I think it's just the case that that person didn't even that thought didn't even cross their mind. They didn't even have that idea um and we saw this again recently on a larger scale with the waitrose christmas ad and i call it a larger scale again because for a tweet to be posted that's normally quite a quick thing doesn't really cost anything mm. it just whereas with an ad there's so much more that goes into this like they're probably planning their next christmas ad right now um so we have the curse of knowledge again in this situation in that waitrose sad was in the news because it was seen to be promoting um unhealthy sun practices like what is even sun damage and it's sun exposure that's the word i was after okay i, I haven't seen the ad yet. Uh, okay i was gonna get onto that so they were following farmers throughout their day essentially it's showing farmers you know going about their day and one of the things that popped up was two farmers comparing their tans now if you are not from a farming background Lots of farmers have these really, really awful tan lines, which is like up to here will be like red, like tan, and then everything else is white. And I know this because my dad's a farmer and my granddad was a farmer. So that image, you know, there's just something that's normal to me. So when I saw people get upset because they had seen the comparing of suntans as promoting unhealthy, like, you know, sun exposure, I was like, 
this is silly. That's just how farmers are. You know, I had that cursed knowledge moment. And then when I actually stood back and was like, just because I know about this and that I know it's about like farming culture, you know, it's a part of that doesn't mean it's okay. And doesn't mean that it should be accepted. Um, so I can imagine the exact same thing happened at Waitrose where they were like, we don't see this as a problem. Nobody had that thought in their brain or nobody shared it mm -hmm. to say, you know, like they didn't even think of it. They didn't even, mm. it didn't pop into their brains. Like you can't know what you don't know. And I think that's exactly what's happened in both of these situations because they didn't even know that this outcome was even possible. Mm. So yeah. I'm, yeah. And I think we, we spoke last week about like, if just run it past people that aren't, aren't like you run it past people who think in a different way it's, it's that thing isn't it this is a this is an echo chamber the, these are results of echo chambers or not enough feedback or not enough risk assessment this is people just going out there and the trouble is with with the world now and how quickly ideas spread not just to your audience but across the world you might be completely you know i'm reminded of the when these car companies call their car a name and it means something else in another language and it's yeah. like horrific because they haven't thought to test it in you know chile what does it mean in chile well it means like burn your entire family and yeah. you know smoke the remains like they, they haven't done that work so they've called their car you know something horrific it's, it's it's that type of thing isn't it we need to make sure we're testing outside our, our echo chamber completely completely and I sort of made a note here if you're like oh how does this apply to me or how can I even avoid these things from happening I was just kind of like you almost need to do a risk assessment like you almost yeah. need to look at the different elements and you know make a note and be like okay these two characters are comparing suntans what could be the repercussions of this what could be and i know it sounds really really clinical and really obsessive but if you are spending hundreds and thousands of pounds on a tv ad then you do need to be that clinical if it's something smaller or you're a smaller company just ask people like ask people on different teams don't just ask people on the marketing team ask mm. other people like people who man the phones people who work in the warehouse just different ask your family when you go home what do you think of this you know just people from different backgrounds and walks of life basically and then just say to people did anything go off did you have any warning bells um and also last thing that popped into my brain before we finish up this marketing fail section is that if you had a campaign like this and at the end somebody says oh yeah well I did think that and your reaction is to be well why didn't you share it go a bit insular and ask yourself why they didn't feel comfortable sharing it with you because I mm. often see these things happen I think if I was on that team I would have wanted to say something but your, people aren't always in a position to you know if they've been labeled as the sensitive person or often get mm. jabbed at for being sensitive about stuff that's actually really important then maybe they won't share it and then instead of that just being a jab in the office between people or you know it ends up being a jab of the whole nation who's angry about your tv ad so yeah just make sure you're creating a space where people can flag their ideas. Then you do a risk assessment and say, actually, we've looked at this. We don't think that it's that much of a bigger deal. You know, at least they've looked at it. And then if it does go down in flames, that's, that's on them, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think requiring people to raise objections, if you were going to be offended about this, what would offend you? You know, it's that checklist manifesto thing, isn't it? The co-pilot never flags the issue to the pilot because there's a, a, a chain of command there and then the plane goes down in flames because the pilot yeah. did something stupid. <laughs> Whereas if they're both working through a shared checklist, right, let's analyze this piece of marketing 
content that we're going to push out and you know obviously you don't have to go crazy with this but are there groups that it's likely to offend are there potential repercussions like it's not a bad idea to just think through what are the potential implications yeah. of all of this and say to people right your turn if you were going to be offended by this what would you be offended by and then just make sure that everyone like you say feels safe to do that yes and i think the last lesson from that very very quickly sorry to um is okay. that um don't be afraid to put stuff out there but it's also how you handle it afterwards so if mm, people yes. say oh actually you didn't think of this like waitrose cut that part out of their advert and re-uploaded it to youtube and you know we'll be running it on telly with that with the tan line part cut out of it tampax on the other hand left their tweet up and doubled down and that yeah. tiktoker doubled down so definitely think about have an action plan in place so that if something like that does happen you're already prepared with what you're going to do you know waitrose could have said mm. right if this gets flagged, we'll take it out. We're not saying that you should have to take it out or should have to censor yourself, but just be prepared and have an action plan in place just in case. Yeah, very, very good point. Cool. Um, right. As you may know, we've started a section where we get you to ask your top digital marketing questions. So you can ask us if you email hello at ExposureNinja.com. If you have any digital marketing questions, we will answer them on the podcast you're supposed to use in the subject line podcast extra or just podcast or <laughs> yeah. something uh capitals podcast we'll we'll find it so email hello at explosioninja.com with any questions um and we will answer them so this week's question is it says not completely a question uh but somebody asked how we are confident on camera and how they could never be that confident wow Jess, what's your take on how to be confident on camera? And for someone who thinks that they could never be that confident, what would you say to them? Well, I've yeah, I see this quite a lot. We've had it in previous live streams and I saw this as a comment on a previous podcast. And I've heard this from other people in the company who after a live stream would be like, I don't know how you do that. And I'm like, same. Um, and I know that sounds like really <laughs> terrible, lame advice, but like, I know myself, I'm a very shy person. And I think people, when I tell them, oh, I'm shy, they're like, what do you mean? like no you're not and I'm like well I am actually and I think really there's a couple of things that you don't see in the both Tim and I have had quite a lot of practice on camera whether that's doing YouTube whether that's like for myself doing streaming whether that's just personal projects like we've had the practice and if you look back at our first video content you'd be like that isn't even the same person like you wouldn't even recognize us like Tim there's some videos of you that I'm like I don't know how you went from that that original content to where you are now like it's night and day and it is really it's like any other skill it's about practice and if you're like oh but the first video is going to have to be rubbish well then none of your videos are going to ever be good because you just won't do any and then they'll all be bad yeah. <laughs> and you just won't yeah you'll never have the chance to practice and yeah get that get those reps in yeah I think that's really good advice it's all about reps isn't it your first 50 are probably going to be rubbish that's yeah fine like everyone's first 50 are pretty rubbish um it's just that's just part of the learning process I, I think it's a bit like learning to speak to people in conversations I would consider myself better on camera than I am in real life because I actually do more on camera than in real life so um so you you kind of you, you get the skills where you focus on but I also think another part of it is just recognizing that when you record yourself and you listen back the first thing everyone says oh my gosh do I really sound like that yes you do and all of us listen back to ourselves and think wow do I really sound like that yeah do I really sound like that but guess what your friends still accept you your family still loves you probably 
like people still listen to you even though you sound like high or whiny or low and boring like i do like it, do it doesn't matter like you just have to just do it just do it like my practice came from absolute desperate necessity my first business in fact most of my businesses have relied on me being in such a low point financially that I was required to get on a camera and sell something to someone. And guess what? You just find a way of doing it when you put yourself in that position and you say, right, let's just freaking do this. And then no one cares. No one goes, oh, you're rubbish on camera. Like nobody cares. That's all in your head. So then you become a bit more comfortable and you say, right, okay, let's just do some more. And then as you do some more, I think it's also really important to listen or watch back yourself as well, even though it's horribly Absolutely. painful. Because even if you're not writing notes about, oh, I can improve this, I can improve this, you just begin to, you know, there's a concept in drumming where if you, when you're playing drums, if you're just listening to the drums, you're going to have a bad time or rather the listeners are going to have a bad time. What you really want to do is hear your drumming in the context of the song. So you want to take yourself out of what you're doing and think about, okay, how is this sounding to the audience? And I think you want to try and do that with video presentation as much as you can. Think about how you're going to be coming across, not just what you're doing. And the only way to do that is to record loads and watch back loads so that you start to make that link in your head. Um, but yeah, like Jess said, the answer is just reps. Yeah. And if you're wondering what this has to do with marketing, because I realize I probably should have prefaced this with that, is that a lot of the time we give advice that's like, you know, live stream if you can, make TikToks if you can. Obviously, it depends on your audience. But like, you know, we've seen a lot of success from YouTube and then people go, yeah, but I can't do that. And we mm. couldn't either. And then we've put the time yeah. in to make the effort to get good at it. And, you know, I think it's it's a shame if you hold yourself back. And also one fact that I've learned that actually helped me a lot when it came to like hearing my voice back is something to do with when you speak, you hear your voice differently to how other people hear it, right? Because it's being transported through like the bone in your face and all this stuff. So of course it sounds different when you hear it recorded back. And that's the case for everyone. So if you're like, oh, my mm. voice sounds weird. It's just, it sounds different to you. It's not what you expected. Um, so yeah, that, that definitely helped me a lot when it came to like hearing my own voice back. Um, so yeah, it's just practice. It's just practice, just go and do it. Jess, thanks so much, dude. Thanks for having me, enjoyed it. <laughs> and if you haven't requested your free website and marketing review, you know, Timmy's here with the CTA at the end. Go to ExposureNinja.com. We'll show you all the things that you could be improving about your website and digital marketing, and we'll send it to you in a video, which we usually send over within two to three working days. That's probably the worst CTA read that I've delivered in the last year. Do you think? Anyway, well, go. go to ExposureNinja.com to request your free review today. And we'll it. see you next week. See you next week. Bye.